the advice I give most commonly is to remove content from the slides. The slides are too busy, they're too wordy, and they're too distracting. We want the speaker to be the center of attention, to be in front of the room and to be commanding the audience's attention. You want the audience to be listening to what they have to say, not reading the slides in the background. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Hello, good afternoon, good evening and welcome to another edition of EMS One Stop. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence. And today we're going to stand and deliver. That's right. We're going to talk about the upcoming uh, event. It's kind of the medical X factor, the America's Got Talent of uh, EMS. And it's happening this year again at EMS World Expo, which is taking place in Orlando, providing Orlando is still there in a week's time, post-Hurricane Ian. And to help me talk about this, I've got two of my uh, old friends, uh, Sean Kiblihan, who is the emergency physician from uh, Brigham Women's Hospital in Boston and also faculty of Harvard Medical School and clinical outcomes and compliance manager for Novant Health, Air and Vitalink. Kevin Colopy, guys, how are you today? Great, great to see you, Rob. Thanks for having us. Wonderful. Appreciate the uh, time to talk about this program. The good news is that we, Kevin and I, podcast this a couple of years ago when we had our very first stand and deliver. And so, Kevin, why don't you start off by talking about uh, what are we standing and what are we delivering? Stand and deliver started in winter of 2018. Uh, Sean called me and said, hey, I have this awesome idea. We do this at a lot of the physician conferences we need to have a, a new speaker competition uh, at EMS World to identify the people who are going to be the next great educators that just haven't had a chance to get out there yet. Let's figure out how to do this. Who do you want to call? And so kind of started with that conversation, and I believe Sean punted it first to uh, EMS World and EMS World Expo, and they were thrilled to have it on, and so we've been coming ever since. And the whole idea is we are trying to find the next person who is a developing, growing, passionate EMS educator who wants to get the opportunity to get their name out there yet, but hasn't had that opportunity to really get through that first door. And so Stand and Deliver has, is free for anyone who is registered and is attending EMS World Expo. Uh, we are really excited because we've already sold out and filled for this year. But they can sign up for a 15-minute mini presentation, and they come in with the presentation of their choice that they're passionate about that they've created themselves. Uh, so the goal is that they aren't taking something that has been written for a paramedic class or an EMT class or anything like that, but their own work. They stand in front of a panel of judges and give a 12 to 15 minute presentation. It's timed. The goal is to be done in that time period. That's part of the evaluation criteria. And these judges. Uh, which are really experienced educators who, like us, want to help that next person grow. At the end of the presentation, take 10 or 15 minutes to tell them what they really liked about the individual's presentation style, delivery format, their slides, their content, and then gives them some tips and, and tricks on how they could elevate that presentation to make it even better. And there are 16 participants in the first four preliminary rounds. Uh, 
there was going to be a, a, a semi-finalist or a finalist identified from each of those first four rounds. And on Friday during EMS World Expo, in, live in the Expo Hall, um, we will have Stand and Deliver's finals. Uh, so four people will present their same presentation a second time. And one of those first four people will be the first speaker uh, invited to present at EMS World. Follow, following on from that, Kevin, obviously, uh, you know, you guys have both been a part of uh, Stand and Deliver. You've both been a part of selecting people to be uh, speakers at EMS World Expo, and I think we've all done that. And I, it's fair to say that for every one person that gets through, there's probably five or six or seven people that don't get selected. And part of that reason is they haven't had the exposure, they haven't had the experience, they haven't spoken at national conferences, they haven't even spoken at state conferences. And so this gives them the chance to get that exposure, as you so wonderfully explained but who have been our rising stars because of the standard deliver process so far? You know, there have been a couple of them. I'm scrolling through just to see who's all actually presenting at Expo this year. But Natalie Zink was one of the first to uh, present through Stand and Deliver. Uh, and she's come back and has presented several times uh, at EMS World Expo and now was in medical school. And so I don't think she's presenting this year, but hopefully we'll be back in the next couple of years. And Douglas Randall was last year's winner, and he's going to be presenting this year on a, a novel approach he's actually had and developed for uh, documenting your patient care. It was his presentation last year during Stand and Deliver, and he's brought it back this year for a full presentation. That's excellent. And so the system does really work. The article I did write a couple of years ago, Kevin, was called America's EMS Has Talent. And uh, so we've certainly seen that. Sean, you're one of the, the judges. You've been here since the get-go. I mean, if you had to give somebody your top tips on how to be an effective presenter in order to get top marks from the judge, what would those top tips be? Our goal here is to build the pipeline of this next generation of national speakers for EMS Expo there's so many good people out there. And the advice that we give people is to build on what you know. So think of your strengths of your interests and that intersection of what a speaker is really passionate about and knowledgeable about will, pre- will lead to the best presentation. So we give them a little bit of a briefing session because we want this to be educational as well and a mentorship opportunity, not just a competition. There's, there's definitely a competition flair to it. But at the end of the day, our goal is to really just enhance the pipeline of the speakers. So we tell them some some key things. First, know your audience. So understand what level that you're speaking to. Are you speaking to paramedics, EMTs, other types of, of allied health professionals? Are you, te- are you teaching people with a lot of experience, a little experience? Um, do they work in an urban or rural setting? So there's a, there's a lot of different nuances to how you would present the exact same content depending on your audience. And then adjusting the depth, how long or short of a talk for this competition, we do 15 minute talks. So that we tell people to really just to get your key points and, and get them across clearly and succinctly in a short period of time. But the biggest advice we give people and that we see in the people that win every year are they just have fun. They're, they're really enjoying being in front of the room and getting that knowledge across and interacting with the audience. And that's, that's the most important. And I've been, Lucky to be one of the judges and listen to it, and uh, I think I was on the with the you know in the room with uh, you know people like yourself and Ashley Lee Big and folk that had uh, had lots of experience of live presenting, and I think you know the feedback. Greg Freeze as well, I think was was a judge too, 
and you know the the advice that, that the judges give back isn't the Simon Cowell that's atrocious. It's actually very constructive and I think very useful to the person that's that's part and parcel of it. This year, Kevin, who is who is judging this year? Uh, we have a wonderful lineup of judges this year. Uh, Rob, you yourself are uh, participating in a couple of sessions as well as in the finals. Uh, Tracy Laskar is going to be back and participating. Peter Antivi, uh, Alan Wolf, who is. Uh, if anyone is working in critical care or air medical transport, probably knows Alan. He's a, a wonderful educator who works up in Minnesota now. Uh, Chris Goner is going to be uh, uh, judging, as well as Jonah Thompson, Brooke Burton, Heather Davis, myself, and uh, Gustavo Flores is going to be joining us. And it looks like Eric Bauer uh, has also offered and is going to be participating in a couple of rounds. So we've actually got some new judges this year, uh, which is pretty fantastic. We'd love to say we've got the same people year over year, but we like to bring a little diversity into that group as well. And so we're thrilled for the people that are going to be joining us for a couple of rounds. Each person who judges is going to, each group is going to judge an entire round. So four people uh, participate in each round and they will have three to five judges in that round, all giving them feedback for when each finalist is picked. And I think it's a great experience for, you know, that first time at Expo speaker. And, uh, you know, we, we hope it will lead on to much greater things. And Sean, I mean, you gave us a few top tips. What's the best advice you've given somebody that you've heard at, at, uh, at Stand and Deliver? Oftentimes, it has to do with the slides. I, I think the advice I give most commonly is to remove content from the slides. The slides are too busy, they're too wordy, and they're too distracting. We want the speaker to be the center of attention, to be in front of the room and to be commanding the audience's attention. You want the audience to be listening to what they have to say, not reading the slides in the background. So I'd say that's the biggest advice that I end up giving is to tell people to be confident in your knowledge and be confident in your abilities and to get up there and, and say what you want to say and what you think is important, because that's what the audience wants to hear. They want it, they came to see you, not your slides. I think that is the wisest of words. Uh, I have never used many words in my slides. You'll get a graph, you'll get images. And actually, other than that, it means I get to say what I want when I want to say it as well. So there's also a little trick in uh, having just, you know, slides and images and, and charts and graphs and not words. And, uh, you know, don't ever please anybody ever read the slides to us because that uh, is probably the kiss of you know what. And one more piece of advice, Rob, that, that was shared with me years ago, which I found very valuable, is... When you're speaking at particularly a national conference, it's important to realize that it's not just delivering education, you're delivering entertainment. And the best speakers year in and year out realize that. And they're there to entertain the audience and also deliver accurate and meaningful content at the same time. So I encourage people to to make it fun, make it engaging, make it lively, and and really just Try to make it as not boring as possible, however you can do that. And if you've got your EMS one-stop bingo card, I'm going to name drop here. Uh, Barashansky, of course, talks about edutainment, which is what you just described there, Sean. You can follow me uh, on this channel, on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Amazon Music. And of course, if you are enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review us on the platform that you're listening on. Let's just take a message from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, 
news and analysis and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. Uh, we're back with uh, Sean Cavellian, who, of course, is a faculty at Harvard Med School, amongst other things, and Kevin Colopy, who needs no further introduction. You guys have also been doing something internationally with the Ukrainians, and uh, it's quite an important task, I think, right now, given where we are. So, Sean, what have you been up to? In my day job, we ha- I work in an organization called the Harvard Humanitarian Initiative, and within that initiative we have a program focusing on emergency health systems in austere and conflict environments. So when the Ukraine war escalated in February of this year, we were approached by one of our long-term partners, International Medical Corps, to provide trauma care and seaburn and mass casualty training throughout Ukraine. These were identified as needs um, among hospitals and healthcare providers in the country. So, We partnered with them and we developed a large-scale educational program. And for the past few months, we've been in-country training people in several levels of education, focusing on physician-level trauma care, nursing-level trauma care, pre-hospital trauma care, and civilian bystander care. For example, for civilian bystander, just basic bleeding control and things that people can do if, if something happens around them until other help gets there. And we're also training on Seaburn for facility preparedness and system preparedness. And Kevin, I think you've been helping out as well. Yes. So uh, Sean uh, asked me uh, early on to uh, help him with this project. This was became one of the first times uh, HHI really had the opportunity to bring and highlight pre-hospital care in as its own focus education line into one of these initiatives. And it was one of the uh, early requests that they received uh, uh, through the Ukrainian government that, that had trickled down. And so we got the opportunity to help build out a focused trauma training program for the Ukrainians that's now been translated into Ukrainian. I think uh, of, of five courses that we've had planned, three have already been delivered, two more are getting scheduled to be compl- are scheduled to be completed in the next month. Um, and each time it's being offered, it's actually being taught twice. And in the middle of those two courses, is a train-the-trainer event. So at the end of this program, our goal is to have somewhere between 100 and 200 Ukrainians that have been trained uh, through this trauma training initiative, uh, but then also uh, up to 50 or 60 of them that can turn around and then can teach this program that we're literally, we've created that we are going to hand over to them for free uh, and let them help train each other so that this education can be sustained in their EMS system uh, in an ongoing manner. And so, Sean, obviously you've been in country. I mean, have you had a chance to look? You talked about EMS systems, Kevin, but Sean, have you had a chance to look at the, uh, you know, the strength, stability of the EMS system in country? And what, what were your observations of that? Yeah, um, I was uh, just in, just returned actually a few weeks ago, and the EMS system there is already strong. The emergency care system has been really um, solidifying over the past few years, and they have a, especially in urban areas, they have a robust EMS system with uh, ambulance stations and um, and well-equipped ambulance, well-trained providers. So we've been working closely with them, trying to strengthen their capacity that already exists and really extending out into areas further um, 
into more remote areas where there are less resources and how we can strengthen their response there. I'm also going to refer people that are listening to a podcast I did about uh, two months ago with uh, Stefan Korshak, who is a reporter uh, in Kiev and the Kiev Post, in fact. And uh, he gave a sort of a boots on the ground version of, of su- actually he spent time, would you believe, with the medical unit on the front line and was looking at, you know, some of the basic sort of treatments and the chain of evacuation that those guys were going through two months ago. And, of course, that was when they were on the defensive. Now they're on the offensive at the moment. And, uh, of course, what that does is that extends the line, the chain of evacuation as you're moving forward. Being an ex-army medic, I can tell you that, uh, you know, you're constantly worrying about where you're moving to next. Are they ready to deal with, you know, extended lines of chains of evacuation and obviously the training you've been given? Do, Do you think medically that they're they're coping very very well i think they're doing a great job and and it's been inspirational for me to partner with providers there to learn from from them and to offer whatever support that we can from our experience in other parts of the world one of the reasons that we split our training up into physician nurse pre-hospital and bystander level is just realizing that it is this chain of events you can't just train the pre-hospital providers or just train physicians you need to have everybody who interacts with the patient have the same training. And that's why we're working to create this con- continuity from moment of injury to definitive care and beyond. That's an important thing, particularly in a, in a war fighting scenario, to think about, as I say, the chain of evacuation, the golden hour, of course, how, how, how you need to think about evacuation. The difference, of course, and, and I can talk this from experience, is the difference between civilian and the military EMS is normally in the military, you know exactly where the next battle is going to take place and therefore you can figure and work out and set your evacuation process from the point of wounding all the way back to your field surgical team and then your general hospital and whatever else they've got. And of course, here in civilian world, we then have to do demand analysis and working out which street corner to put the ambulance on in order to uh, you know, to, to meet the next patient. So I think it's it's important stuff. How long, this is a piece of string question, but how long are you going to continue to support the operations out there? Right now, we're planning on um, until through the end of October. And we're looking at different extensions on certain lines of the training based on the ongoing needs. So most likely continuing civilian-based training and bystander training, which really has been a well-received huge need, and also seaburn training, um, particularly with concerns around uh, nuclear radiation events. That, of course, is a big issue right now. Um, we, we've seen the, uh, the, the the threats or the promises or the rhetoric or whatever, whatever he's saying, the president there. And, of course, the other bit when we were training for the Cold War was, you know, chemical weapons, and uh, we haven't heard about that either. So that has to be a major factor in planning for whatever happens next in case, you know, as we all think, you will lose the plot and do something silly. So uh, obviously, are you doing CBRN-type uh, training on a major scale? Yeah, we're doing uh, CBRN training at hospitals and other healthcare facilities and training on different levels, working with the hospital and healthcare system leadership of how we can, how they can prepare to do decontamination events, how they can protect their facilities and uh, con- continuation of operations in the event of, of something like this happening, but then all the way down to how do you care for the individual patient? And beyond that, how can bystanders take precautions and best care for themselves to reduce their re- reduce the impact if an event happens? So we're really trying to target every level of the response from systems right down to the individual. So if, if people wanted to get involved or in, indeed, you know, prepare to get involved, Sean, what can they do from a perspective of your Ukrainian operations? Well, I, I think there's a lot of global health work that occurs around the world. And much of it ends up being physician-based, at least that I see. 
And this is an example of a great opportunity for pre-hospital providers to really share their expertise that they've developed and also um, learn from others around the world about how pre-hospital care is delivered and how people can team together to make it more effective. We all have the same goal of providing the best care that we can to patients. So if people are interested in doing this type of work, I recommend looking at some of the international non-governmental organizations that are out there, including International Medical Corps, who we're partnering with, and also Harvard Humanitarian Initiative. You can look up their websites, and there's uh, there's definitely future opportunities to get involved in this type of work. That's interesting. You've just taken me back maybe 15 years, maybe more, actually, to uh, to Yugoslavia, and we had a lot of NGOs, Medicine Sans Frontier, to name but one, were very actively involved in just looking after the civilian population while the military were doing the military stuff. And so working with uh, NGOs are vitally important just to keep uh, you know to keep those things going so I, I commend everybody to have a look at uh, those organizations that uh, Kevin mentioned guys is there anything I've haven't asked you or you want to tell me before we uh, before we sign off Kevin I think one of the important humbling considerations is that as we all get together at EMS World Expo uh, at some of the other conferences this fall as we all go back to work that uh, right now today and for the next several weeks and there will continue to be uh, an incredible amount of humanitarian efforts continuing in Ukraine, uh, both through this project uh, with U.S. paramedics who have been over there volunteering and assisting, uh, but as well as providers from around the world who are are there helping and assisting, and that's going to continue on for years. Um, and sometimes when we set our things aside and we go back to normal and we're in our regular systems, we forget about some of the challenges other people around the world have faced and continue to face in uh, just a, a moment of admiration for the people that continue to be out there helping those who are facing incredible odds and have great needs for support, whatever that might be. And that's actually an excellent point when we think about emergencies, whether it's war, whether it's natural disaster, of course, we are going to be post Hurricane Ian very shortly. We tend to think about the emergency response where we rush into it and we save life and we deal with it. And we always forget the recovery, and the recovery takes a lot longer, months, weeks. Think about New Orleans, years. But that's not really sexy, newsworthy stuff, and so we do kind of you know, tend to forget about that. You know, a final thought from you, Sean. I think the, the important thing, all this work is tied together, whether it's responding to the war in Ukraine and providing educational support or going to EMS Expo and delivering educational content or working to become a better speaker. All of it's connected and it has to do with the same goal. And the goal is to improve the quality and access that people in the world have to emergency care, whether that's in a conflict setting, a rural setting, or after a natural disaster. And we see all of these things. And our EMS family works with all of these populations all over the world. So I think it's important just like Kevin was saying, as you go through your day-to-day, just just remember how lucky we are to have these opportunities and to develop these skills and to share them with everybody else out there So, because we all have the same goal of just helping each other out. And there's so many great opportunities to do that right now. To try to link the second half of the first half, of course, if you are a great instructor and you can convey a good message, then you can educate the masses, um, whether it's in peace or war. So thank you for all those thoughts. Uh, how can we follow you, keep up with you, and contact you, uh, Kevin? Uh, best way to get a hold of me is to either follow me on Twitter at KT Colopy, 
Uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com backslash and backslash KT Colopy. Uh, generally respond to those on social media pretty quickly and are probably the easiest ways to find me. And Sean? Similar, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, also on Twitter at Sean underscore Kivlihan. And you can visit us at Harvard Humanitarian Initiative's website at hhi.harvard.edu and check out the Emergency Health Systems Program, which links to more of our work. Thank you. And as always, you can follow me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at UKRobL1 or indeed on any escalator near you. And we'll have you guys on that uh, as we go into season five. Good Lord, season five. Um, So for the minute, guys, thank you very much. So Stand and Deliver is taking place at EMS World Expo in Orlando. Obviously, we're going to follow the work with great interest that you guys are doing in the Ukraine. And for the moment, thank you both very, very much. Thank you, Rob.